Episode 5. Have a cigar. You're gonna go far. Remember the Takapau Plains? Remember Rock FM playing the whole of Shine On You Crazy Diamond? Tanya got you into Pink Floyd. It was fate they played it as you headed north to see her at uni. You stiffened at the thought, told yourself she was worth the wait. What was seven more hours of virginity after all? Jesus, just think of what you passed up on, man. And I don't mean Mount Ruapehu. Think of Jade Baker and the knowing eyes she gave you when the wind blew her netball skirt up. There's no such thing as the right time. I tried telling you. Any longer and you'd have gone blind. This road trip couldn't have come sooner. Pun intended. Despite initial nerves, I enjoyed my first year in a new school. It was a blank slate in terms of my personality, but I'd been more anxious than I'd hoped. Found I didn't quite have the guts to approach anyone. My initial security blanket was to take obscure books into school and make sure to be seen reading them, playing the mysterious foreigner. You missed a trick with those books. You might as well have been reading them upside down. The success of Entrancing Tanya had taught me to be vague and try and slip words in that showed off my Englishness. Keeping my words few was most welcome because I badly needed braces. People pleasers are known to lose their native tongue. Consider it method acting. It was a small school, only a few hundred students. A big chunk of them were from China and Japan, boarding in the dorms and keeping themselves to themselves. The rest were a mix of white or Maori that seemed to segregate with age. I didn't know why. Rugby was the school's main focus, trying to find the nation's next Lomu. There were some genuine hulks kicking around the corridors, collars and shorts pulled up, stark tan lines on nut-cracking thighs. I'd grown lanky and thinned out. It would have been a waste of the nation's time to worry about my sporting potential. I had nothing to prove, no history in my new surrounds, so I was greenlit to go straight to the music department. The music teacher, Mr Murdoch, had been in a rugby accident as a kid. As a result, his neck had no tendons down one side and his head was permanently leaned over. He gestured with his hands a lot when he spoke. It made him look like he was playing an invisible violin. The minute he found out I played guitar, he was onto it. Stuck me in a room with the like-minded Jethro Feck for me to show off to. Jethro was a great bass player and easily kept up. He was shy, not enough eye contact to decipher a colour, but a shag of brown fusilli hair. That lunchtime, he brought his mates Colin and Campbell over. I was reading Jean-Paul Sartre's Nausea, drifting in and out of understanding. You have to choose, live or tell. Slim pickings, but well done. Colin was half Maori, but bleached his shiny black locks thick peach. Campbell was pasty, greasy, a young hen brune. Jethro bit his fingernails behind them like he'd bigged me up and was nervous I wouldn't meet expectations. Colin wanted to know how many Nirvana songs I knew, asked if I liked Weezer. Campbell asked me if I'd ever been in a band. Fuck yeah, you had. And can we not just take a minute to reflect on the joy of the name Jethro Feck? They were looking for a frontman, and it was imperative they weren't a fan of Oasis. That was the reason for the interview, me being a Brit and all. The Gallaghers saved your carcass a bunch of times, man. How could you throw them under the bus like that? When Oasis hit big, even the jocks had time for music. You got left the fuck alone if you could crank out Wonderwall upon request. And who can't do that? They wanted to be called Dirk Sphincter and the Epitaphs. I said I'd join if we could change the name. That was Talentless Campbell's idea. The only good thing he did was introduce you to no FX and that whole surf punk thing. That shit was hilarious. Jethro was a sweetheart, wouldn't boo at a goose. Tasty bass player too. Knew some ironic slap, thought Paul McCartney's strap was too short, etc. And Colin, well, 
Colin was so laid back he could limbo under Miss Cullen's skirt if he'd wanted. He was in the band for the crack of being in a band. Played a bit of rhythm and made you all look cool. Smoked some weed too, right? Amazing to think you weren't tempted. And not a single fag since takeoff. On some kind of health kick. It can be done. I asked Mum for my songbooks, but they hadn't arrived from England yet. That's weird. The dogs had. Part of me was actually relieved. Maybe I wasn't ready to face the past just yet. I started some new songbooks, wrote goofy punk tunes without meaning, and started piecing together a set for the band. We'd decided on the name Misdemeanors. Be honest here, that's not as good as Dirk Sphincter and the Epitaphs. Elsewhere in school I got heaps of leeway. Teachers held my hand through the new system, and other students wanted to help the mysterious foreigner out, see if there was anything worth getting to know behind the mask. Perfect time to drop in another reminder of the lovely Jade Baker, Queen of the Cherry Poppers. There on a plate for you, and willing to put more than just a decorative apple in her mouth. Her rep was sullied. It would have been a perfect introduction to your hindered sexual awakening. No strings, no commitment. What a frightened little possum you were. Tanya had left to go back to uni a week after we'd met. It had been difficult to find privacy living with Aunt Kath and Uncle Paul over that Christmas, and I don't think Frances was best pleased her dorky cousin had stolen her friend away. In any case, we'd managed a lot of first base stuff, kissing fully clothed with brief but miraculous wondering hands. Her little skin on the fingertips never hurt anyone. The whirlwind spun me enough to hold out until next summer. I had plenty to focus on in the present, moving into a new house, starting a new school and so on. Whatever. Mine and Tanya's cross-country conversations racked up eye-watering phone bills. Mum made me get a job stacking shelves at Price Chopper on weekends to cover them. Once my debts were paid, I stayed on and saved to get my driving licence. Aunt Kath had offered to pay, but Mum said she didn't want to live her life like a charity, insisted I graft myself. Maybe she was being obstructive, rightfully nervous about youngsters hooning around on the roads, but it didn't take too long to get my licence anyhow. Mum had set up a dog grooming business at home in town and barely needed the car, so it was pretty much mine, a burnt umber Sierra. Despite only living down the road from school, I drove in every day, pulling up outside the music department and taking my guitar out of the trunk in full view of as many students as possible. Mr Murdoch was there one morning, smiled and said I had my very own tour bus now. Light bulb! Me and the band begged Mr Murdoch to let us use lunch times to get on the road and tour other schools. Might be a stretch calling it The Road. We packed the gear and headed to the only lunch halls close enough, in Dannyverk or Woodville. If we felt lucky, maybe we'd push for the half-hour Palmerston North run. Their lunch hall was twice the size of the others. Wherever we went, we'd blast a half-hour of comic fuzz and then pack up and bolt back to Norsville justifying our lateness to the other teachers with claims that it was for a project we were taking very seriously. Uh, what was that song about the dyslexic fan of Bob Marley? Or the one about the guy with the asshole for a belly button that ate his parents? What planet were you on exactly? Even without the marijuana? Mr Murdoch entered us into a student's Battle of the Bands competition. I say competition, but we were the only ones in it, so of course we won. We were put in the running for the Nationals, which would be televised on one of the three channels. We had to go meet the executives, but that's where the campaign ended. Our so-called punk attitude was just silly. We weren't what they were looking for. That was Campbell's fault. Who let him do the talking? I didn't mind. To be honest, I was relieved. As much fun as I'd been having, I was over the punk thing. Couldn't keep up the facade any longer. My voice was frustratingly baritone for a punk band. I was suited to a more earnest timbre and ready to take music seriously again. Misdemeanors had given me some well-needed confidence but I quit the band. 
Campbell did my head in, and Jethro's parents were devout Presbyterians. When they heard the band, they said he had to stop playing with me. I was twisted and dangerous, apparently. Uh, revelations? Colin and I stayed friends. He was funny as hell, and always so high, always showing his perfect white teeth in an infectiously baked smile. He called me Braveheart, and I ribbed him for his ludicrously unnative first name. I went to pick him up from his house once, and his dad answered, a spherical mass of toffee flesh covered in tribal tattoos. The house stank of weed, a cross between cat piss and oregano. He was smoking a joint and offered it to me. I said I was driving. Better not. Something about that cat piss, though. Mum and I had been in our home eight months or so. It was bigger than our home in Cornwall, but wooden and on waist-high stilts. She'd redecorated, and no two rooms were the same. The lounge was half Indian restaurant, half granny flat. The kitchen was canary and blue striped walls with loud plum polka dots on clementine doors. She'd become fascinated with new age stuff, really digging into her pagan roots. Tacky trinkets and spell books sat on multicoloured shelves. Dream catchers and windpipes hung in doorways. Porcelain wizards gawked at you from every angle. Bless her. What a jumble sale. Her flair must have been bottled up for so long she probably just didn't know where to start. So it projectile vomited out of her. It was the design on the sofas that gave you your hay fever. Forget the continuous stream of dogs that were always around. I searched the outhouse and the garage, but I couldn't find what I was looking for. I opened the loft latch, and the heat came belching out. It was boiling up there. The air had been close and sticky all week. Real earthquake weather. I tied my t-shirt round my face and ventured up, clawing through the boxes at full speed to keep short the mission. Still nothing. Eventually, when Mum got home late, I asked her where my songbooks were. The books were full of things I knew would be painful to think about, things about Dad and other forgotten embarrassments, but I was ready to dive in and get some inspiration. Mum was in the kitchen, readying the dog bowls, surrounded by seven or eight mutts that knew dinner was imminent. She didn't hear me over there barking, their frantic claws on the toadstool lino. Where are my books, Mum? She still didn't hear, or pretended not to. Try speaking dog. She listens to them. Mum, shouting. Where are my books? She looked around. The dogs were getting impatient. What books? She said, sheepishly. Your song books? I didn't think you wanted those. What the woof? I asked her again and she repeated what I was afraid I'd already heard. Didn't want them? Where are they? You mean you threw them out? She wouldn't look at me started filling the bowls to hush the dogs that snuffled at their supper. Normal volume resumed. Are you fucking serious? You threw them out. I didn't know what else to say. There were hundreds of ideas in those books, all too far away in my memory to recall without some kind of visual aid. Mum turned to look at me. She tried to hide it, but I could read the red-faced guilt. Woofing woof! What a woofing woof woof! I was starting to feel giddy. When did you get rid of them? I said, gulping for air. She stopped pouring the food and the remaining hungry dogs went ballistic. Over the noise of the barking, it sounded like she said England. Crying wasn't something I did, but I could feel it brewing. I ran out of the house, a cross between livid and confused. I was trying to tell myself that maybe she was right. Maybe I didn't need them. Regardless, dick move. How's about you chuck those spellbooks out, grot bags? Mum and I had been through a lot. We're as close as we'd ever been. She had a quiet wisdom and a dry wit, but like me, she never spoke about the past. I wanted to trust her, to believe that she'd had my best interests at heart, but my history had been thrown in the bin, 
just as I'd finally found the courage to face it. I didn't know how to feel, my stomach in a sailor's knot. Inside the house, the dogs were going ballistic again, but it sounded different this time. It wasn't the yaps of hungry mutts, it was a primal, indigenous barking. Ten seconds later, the earth began humming, and a deep, unforgiving rumble knocked from the very depths of hell beneath my feet. Sorry, that is ridiculous. It was just a tremor. It lasted maybe five seconds. The earthquake sounded exactly like my fever dream from childhood. You've not had that in years. And stop saying earthquake. It was a tremor. The humidity was making my skin tacky as I stared up at the stars in their millions. Oh, stars again. Glass shards sparkling in eternity. Incorruptible hopes in God's own wilderness, maybe? You can have that. Just like in my nightmare, the universe loomed mysteriously above. An ocean of pins and needles, throbbing and threatening to make me sick. I thought we'd established that was the vagina. I tried to think about my lost books. The songs, the stories, the salvations of the past. But it was no use. My history was an indecipherable fog. Dad in his study, Uncle Henry's ghost, Simon's dark eyes, Isaac's baritone. They were gone. My youth. It was gone. Jess. Gone. I found comfort where I always did, with the gospel of Dylan repeating in my head. It's easy to see without looking too far that not much is really sacred. It's all right, Ma. I can make it. What about every day's been darkness since you've been gone? With no tears, I stared the universe in the face. You mean you stared the vagina in the face? I vowed to move on, stay well and live clean, focus on school and forgive mum her misstep, make her proud. I closed my hands in prayer and gave thanks. Very nice. But, wrong God this time, eh? Time for a brush with another one. I'd stopped for gas in Taupo but was running low again as I reached Auckland to see Tanya at the end of term. I'd finished my exams and was in good spirits. Mum gave me $50 for doing so well, so I'd filled up and headed off. Shame she didn't give you something more towards fixing your teeth, or ask Aunt Kath. Paying away is all well and good, but man, it was like a bomb had gone off in a graveyard. Braces too expensive, and that medieval retainer could only do so much. I felt for you. At least you could take it out and shut your mouth. That was usually best. Tanya's dorm was in the Newmarket district, near the university. She lived with a couple of other girls, but they only shared the bathroom and kitchen, and there was a lock on her door. She'd been sure to tell me that. She was waiting out on the street. It was late, well after midnight. Ooh, we're going to let it all hang out. She was in PJs, loose bottoms and a singlet, fit and radiant as ever. I don't know what she saw in me, but I tried not to think about that. I guess through the distance and the shortened phone calls, I'd retained some mystery maybe. Hadn't had time to overthink myself into being unattractive. I pulled over, flashing my lights to get her attention. I took my retainer out as she ran and opened the driver's side, diving in to hug me. There was some fleeting eye contact to be sure it was me, then we were right back to the tonguing we'd left off from ten months ago. He threw her a compliment. He could feel her chest, bare skin but for a layer of cotton turned amber in the streetlight. You couldn't wait to see if your imagination had been on point, or points, pun intended. Her room was thankfully dim, small and with lots of open books and lavender candles. Alice in chains unplugged spilled out of a stereo, crawling around the walls on low, heaven beside you, hell within. We were straight onto the bed, still clothed and with her straddled on top. She had St. Christopher on a slim gold chain hanging from her neck. It caught on my chin and tickled my nose. She laughed and spun the pendant to the back, 
lustfully exhaling and coming back for more. She was a passionate, noisy kisser. Your mouth was dry from nerves, but she kept you wet. She straightened up and stripped her top off. The aperture in your eyeballs sucked up enough candlelight to know your imagination had paled in comparison. You couldn't help but immediately put your hands on her, her nipples stiffening under your thumbs, waking against your clumsy caress. You sat up and tore your top off, your highland skin relishing a deceptive warm hue. She put her hands down your pants, roughly fumbling a stiffy. You couldn't get your hands down her PJs, not without dislocating your wrists, so you rolled over, pulled her down on her back, her hands wrenching your dick painfully as they tried to let go. The humidity made her heaving chest shine as she arched on her shoulder blades, fluttering eyes and crown in spin. St. Christopher smothered, Lane Staley singing, If I could, would you? I swung my legs over the side and pulled my remaining clothes off, crawled back onto the bed, ready to undress her. You'd paid attention when you first poked your fingers around down there, knew every fleshy contour, braille to the blind. Now it was time for the visuals. Those PJs would have slipped off so easy. But wait, what are you doing? asked Tanya. I stopped in my tracks, on all fours like a deer in the headlights, frozen by her question. My face was a foot above her crotch, my hands poised and ready to disrobe her. I looked down at my naked body. Four skinny limbs and a twitching prick. What do you mean? I managed. She was resting on her elbows. What are you doing? I had no answer. She asked me if I believed in sex before marriage. Believe? I was flushed, suddenly exposed and mortified, confused and starting to droop. She asked me again. Did I believe in sex before marriage? Was the throbbing cock and birthday suit not a clue? Um, I said, still drooping. Do you believe in sex before marriage? She said she believed that God didn't want us to be sinful. She believed in purity and sanctity. And flaccid. I looked around for something to conceal my dignity, sat over the edge feeling utterly ashamed. She said we could still do other stuff, just not, you know, all the way. Oh, what are the rules? I stuttered for a comeback. I suppose so, yeah. I mean, what are the rules? And what do you mean by believe? She was looking at me like I was a good kid caught up to no good and out of my depth. I continued. Isn't belief about confidence in the truth without proof that it's right? I mean, I don't go around insisting everyone has sex before marriage. Nice pillow talk, droopy drawers. What were you waffling about? And why were you so easy on her? What sort of belief says you can have your cake but you can't eat it? Where in the Bible does it say keep your slacks on? People were always getting their dicks out back then. Adam and Eve had hundreds of kids. You shouldn't have rushed it. You should have stuck with the fingers a while longer. What's the difference anyway? Does she think God's looking in? Making sure it's the right kind of phallus? Digits only please and heaven awaits? Nah, fuck that. Let no monster cast judgment. Are you okay? Said Tanya, slipping her singlet back on and putting her arm around me, apologising for thinking we were on the same page. You know Francis is a Christian, right? I didn't. I deflated. But how could I get angry with Tanya, even with my frustration? Like this. Fuck you! She would have to be the star in someone else's sky. She'd been a useful grail to cover, had kept me buoyant and focused, but I couldn't see me coming back from this. Humiliation was in the post, ready to set my mind into overload, and I was already looking for some nice deep sand. She was out of my league anyway, on the straight and narrow. I was a non-believer, crooked-toothed and crazy. I needed out, to reassess. She pulled my face around and kissed my lips, but I didn't return the affection. I had a question. 
So that time you said it must have been amazing to see under the water when Moses parted the sea. That's not just a story. You believe that actually happened? I believe in miracles, she said. Are you not so sexy thing? She was too close for comfort, gazing intently like she was trying to hypnotise me or something. She asked if I still wanted to see her. Um... I looked at the flower-shaped pillow concealing my dignity. What a ridiculous fig leaf. I feel like a bit of an idiot. She said I wasn't an idiot. I was sweet and funny and really grown up. I sighed at the condescension. So you want to get married? I was only half joking. Oof, desperate times. I had nothing left to say. She did. You never talk about your dad. Neither did I want to. I tried to shrug it off, but she kept on, offering her ear and shoulder if needs be. I narrowed my eyes, didn't know what she knew. Francis must have been talking to her about me, telling her stuff about what had happened to Dad. A few beats went by as she stroked St. Christopher, before offering me a slice of biblical wisdom. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Yeah, that's very optimistic of you, Tanya. Where's the evidence? Faith in a truth without proof that it's right. Sorry, Tanya, I need to go. I threw off her arm and started pulling on my clothes, apologising like a stuck record. She was crying, saying I needed help, that she could help. I told her I didn't need it. I wasn't a charity. I just needed to wake up, literally and figuratively. I thought about lying and saying I had an interview I'd forgotten about, but instead just repeated my false contrition. You didn't owe her anything more. I thought I should kiss her goodbye, but she stepped away, said she was confused worried. I said I was fine. She said she didn't believe me. Called me a freak. True colours? I was out of there. I set off for home and prayed Rock FM would get me through the night. A victim of love, don't you cry lonely boy. Ride the white swan. Take me to the river. Purple haze. Cocaine. Helpless. Paranoid. I made it home by dawn and my body shut down. I slept 12 hours, bookended by apocalyptic nightmares. I woke with a strange feeling that my soul was itching, but my hands were mittens. I walked down to Price Chopper, needed sugar in my system. I bought a packet of biscuits and a litre of ginger beer, sat on a curb and smashed the lot, belching with teeth full of syrup, carbonated eyes fizzing as I scanned around. The imaginary mittens came off and I felt free to scratch my restless soul again. The supermarket was on the back streets of the main drag. Jade Baker lived in one of the houses round here. Yes, she did. And every boy with a whisker on his balls knew it. I loitered, thinking maybe she'd show up, give away her position. I don't know what I thought I'd do. I hadn't made a plan. I just wanted something to happen. Sugar rush. Colin's dad pulled up. He rolled his podge out of the car, flip-flops, tracksuit bottoms well below the belly. Giant brown nipples sticking out of the sides of a dirty vest. The whites of his eyes toked well and truly pink. He said hey and asked me what I was up to. If I'd heard the new Metallica album. I hadn't. Oh, come see us sometime, bro. I'll hook you up. He bought some beers, reminded me of the offer and drove off. I watched him pull away down Queen's Road towards the steelworks. And to my delight, I spotted Jade arriving at her house in a scandalous netball skirt. I watched her go inside as my mind started vomiting fantasies at me. Just getting her to answer the door would give me something to hang on to. I started walking over, running some lines in my head and sniffing my armpits just in case. I stopped on the opposite side of the road, pausing to assess. They said she was all woman. 
I wrinkled my nose and shook my head, injected with a different kind of interest suddenly. I spun on my heels towards Colin's house. I didn't care about the new Metallica record. I hoped his dad would offer me a spliff. I wouldn't be saying no this time. <laughs>